You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, though, my 95th episode, we're going to speak to a good friend and industry colleague, as well as industry veteran, Dr. Sanjay Seth from Health EC. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you, Justin. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And I know you're traveling, so thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to join us here. But um, you are a return guest, uh, but uh, I still like to start off giving a little bit of background on you um, for my audience and obviously always new people listening. So where were you born, raised, attend college, all that good stuff? Well, um, I was uh, born in England, mm-hmm. uh, went to med school in India. Uh, went back to England, worked in the National Health Service, and then uh, came to the United States in 1987. And then, you know, when the whole topic of national health, uh, universal health care and national health service was in, uh, in discussions. And um, came back, did, um, uh, went back to school, uh, got a master's in administration from Cornell, and entered into the paramedical space. I call myself a reformed MD. So I'm in the administrative side and uh, using my clinical knowledge uh, to, to form a, to close the communication gap between technology and clinicians and providers and patients. I think um, that's where, uh, that's the strength and, uh, of LPC now is that we are able to bridge those gaps. So where does your passion for pop health come from? Um, when the Affordable Care Act was first released, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe we had the, um, the unique ability to read between the lines, mm-hmm. and I think we were able to see that that's where the system was headed. Um, it's, um, it's a patient-centric approach that uh, the Pop Health program took into place, so uh, that as a clinician, that's really where um, we um, we think that the focus of healthcare should be. Uh, I think it brings about better quality and and manage costs better, and not necessarily always lower costs. But that passion, I think, uh, translated from my clinical side is to how to help the providers focus on the right patients at the right time with the right intervention. And I think that's really why population health took, um, you know, a, sort of a priority for me. Yeah. And uh, and how we would bring technology uh, into that picture. Uh, so excellent. That, I think that's really where the passion is. No, oh, that's great. And um, I mean, I, I've been working with you guys for a long time, just from a thought leader perspective. And I know that uh, I love what you guys do, and I was very excited. For this show, not only because of the pop health aspects, and, and no matter how healthcare evolves, 
population health is going to be at the center. It's, it fuels every value-based care model. It fuels every um, advanced or alternative payment model that I've seen and that I'm, I know that I'm going to see uh, at least for the next decade plus, if not longer. So no matter how healthcare changes this year, next year, no matter who's president, um, uh, you know, population health and, and managing that data, mining that data, and really utilizing that data in every way is how you're going to be paid in the future. So, so you guys are right in the epicenter of all that. Um, so, absolutely. So what? before we dive in, I'm very excited about this episode specifically because we're going to talk about best practices around MIPS and attestation and, and reporting there. Um, but, uh, but what differentiates Health EC from other companies? Because obviously it's a crowded space. So, you know, what really sets you guys apart? I think what really sets us apart is uh, we've, we've solved the data aggregation problem. I know people are still struggling with that. Yeah. Uh, the ability to bring financial, clinical utilization data all into a centralized uh, data set uh, is truly what the, pro the aggregation problem that we have solved. The second part of that is how quickly we are able to do that um, with our typical, uh, you know, six weeks implementation timeline. Um, I think um, that is one aspect. On, on combining clinical and financial utilization data uh, to do both analytics and care coordination and integrating care coordination with analytics is where I think we differentiate ourselves and both uh, you know the industry publications class and Chilmark have at least now recognized uh, that uh, ability uh, of our product uh, and I think that is uh, truly validation for what we've been doing. Uh, we always thought of ourselves as being unique and, and different uh, but now I think others are beginning to recognize it as well. Uh, in fact, in the latest Chilmark report, uh, we were the only company that got an A uh, for product. So that uh, integrated uh, solution that we are offering with a front-end user access to providers and care coordinators and patients is how I think we differentiate ourselves from everybody else. That's excellent. So now let's move into that aspect a little bit. So we're, you know, not, we're about halfway into the first year reporting under MACRA and a lot of the, um, uh, the MIPS aspects and APM. So what's your assessment of the market prep preparation? And, you know, are most care providers that you uh, hear from are ready for the transition? What do you think there? I don't think, I think the, I think the market awareness is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of confusion um, uh, and fear that the providers are seeing because they really don't know what needs to be done. I don't think anybody has translated the requirements of MIPS uh, at the provider level. Um, and I think that's where the market is today. I think the small providers, uh, of course, MIPS, uh, CMS, uh, threw a, a monkey wrench into this by saying, you know, um, maybe you're too small to be a MIPS reporter. Right. Um, 
I think that uh, the small individual practices all think that they don't need to do it anymore. Right. Uh, the large practices, the group practices that we've been talking to certainly are aware. They understand the measures they have to report, but they can't seem to get their heads around how is it that they're going to get that data. And uh, I don't think they are ready to report, but I think at least they're aware they need to do something. Uh, what we've been trying to tell these groups is um, the data coming out of the their EMRs and their billing information combined will satisfy a lot of MIPS requirements, at least in year one. Uh, of course, uh, trusting the data out of the EMR was also a big issue, especially with the news release for eClinical Works. Mm -hmm. So now the providers are wondering if the automated tools that these EMR vendors provided them really reflects what they've been doing. And I think that's a serious setback uh, to the process. Um, so we've been getting more and more requests to go directly into the database to extract the data ourselves rather than rely on the EMR vendor. Right. Uh, I think that is, that's going to pose, you know, more, uh, more issues with confidence and trustworthiness than actually the work. I think that's where my assessment would be today. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And when I heard, I read a stat earlier this week on the fact that it was a high number, 80, I think the number is 85% of practices have not and do not plan to hire additional resources to manage their MIPS strategy. And I would agree with you on that. I yeah. would absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, and, and I agree as well, but I find that a little scary because I do believe this is going to take some expertise, even with the best practices. I do believe service, um, I do believe innovation um, are going to play a key role. And, and if you're not going to add staff, which I do understand why, I vividly understand why, right. but you've got to augment in some way because there is a deeper expertise that you're going to need. It's not as simple as just PQRS. It's not as simple as meaningful use. Um, and then there's even, you know, new variables um, so that you've never even seen before. None of us have seen before. This is all brand new for the industry. So right. I think that's one aspect um, that I find a little troubling, but I'd love your take on that. What do you think of that? If they're not going to hire any new additional staff, what do you think? I, you know, I think that, you know, uh, they haven't uh, provided enough of an incentive mm -hmm. uh, for the providers to do this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, I think the providers are uh, don't see that incentive ever working. So the com the willingness to commit additional resources to right. it is a problem. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also become a business opportunity for every EMR vendor. So uh, you know, uh, physicians who had relied on the fact that their EMR vendor was going to help right. is non-existent. Um, right. So I think. They are seeing the reluctance, and you know, IT resources don't come cheap. Um, and so, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that uh, 
if I was a practicing provider, I'd think twice before hiring an additional resource unless my practice was big enough that I could, you know, sort of guarantee myself uh, a bonus, you know, incentive. Uh, I think that's true. Uh, I think that's a fair assessment, and I think that's what we're seeing on the ground in our communications with the providers. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I don't think uh, the physicians um, are ready for this, and I can't imagine them being ready over the next three months either. Oh, I, I completely agree. I guess my additional thought there, and from a best practice, I do want to ask you some best practices here in a moment, but one, one thought on the best practice would be hiring or, or training or securing, and, and, and so you don't have to maybe hire someone additional, but you have to train, quote, retrofit somebody who really understands population health and slicing and dicing of data, even, you know, even if they deploy a great solution like yours, I think having somebody resident not relying on the EHR vendors or any vendor per se, right? Um, but really having somebody who can who can roll up their sleeves, they can learn this process. It's not complicated, but it does take a focus and it does take some training. And I think having that resource on your team, so you may not have to add or you know augment your team with additional resources, but I think you've got to you've got to repurpose or retrain somebody because having that expertise is only going to benefit you long term. It's, it's the future of healthcare and, and using that data strategically um, is, uh, is going to be how you're going to be paid, you know, in three to five years, but also even under macro tomorrow. So um, uh, I think that's very true. I think it's also, um, you know, sort of steering providers into uh, becoming part of larger entities so that they don't have to worry about it, right? Whether it's in a, under an employment model or a, a SIN or you know, I think uh, a clinically integrated network or an ACO. Um, so I think it's a good, it's a good motivator to move into that environment. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the fear of not being independent counteracts on that impulse, right? And I think that's. Uh, that's really also an issue. But I think the best practice we are seeing is that if a practice uh, has access to its data hmm. and they can export it, uh, again, you're right, if they need some internal resources to understand it because it's not just data, right. you need to understand uh, the clinical aspects of it. Um, that needs to be done. It is, and again, you're right that it's not a difficult thing. It's just somebody needs to spend the time and energy with a focus, you know, to get this done. Uh, what we are seeing in the larger groups uh, who have some IT resources, even though they are not ready for macro, if they can export the data, then we can help solve that problem for them. And when you're 25 or more, it's a little easier to have at least that resource available to you um, internally so that we don't have to run after the EMR vendor. Uh, but uh, I think the best practice is what we've been trying to tell some of our providers is here's where you are today. Uh, start focusing on the 90-day period starting August 1, perhaps. Mm. And just focus on these gaps that you have because you can't focus on everything. So it's easier to say, okay, you're scoring in the 50th percentile or the 75th percentile on this metric. 
ignore these. Here's where you're below 30. Just focus on these six things over the next 90 days uh, to be eligible for a bonus. Of course, they've simplified the process to avoid a penalty, which is one quality measure or one improvement activity to be reported. And CMS is, I think, in, in its wisdom, has also afforded the ability to attest uh, for advancing clinical information and uh, clinical improvement activities. So, you know, maybe you can skate by for 2017, but then yeah. it's maybe extended the opportunity by six months or a year to be ready for next year. Yeah, I do want to say, and I agree with you completely, Those are, and I love best practices, and that's why people tune into my show mostly is because we share best practices. So thank you for that, Dr. Seth. And the, the, I do want to tell everybody, my listeners, and because you already know this, um, but the website qpp.cms.gov is one of the best sites that I've ever seen the government create. It's, a, it's very informative. It can help you hone in your thoughts. It can help you focus in on maybe some of the criteria and metrics that are best suited for your specialty, for your practice, uh, for you just as a care provider and how you practice medicine. So I do the qpp.cms.gov is a very good site if you haven't seen it already or if you, if you don't utilize it to please check it out because, again, very informative and very helpful and specialized to your, to your practice and your specialty. So, Justin, I would add one more thing to that. Yeah. And I know cost is cost and resource utilization is not a factor for 2017. Right. But by 19, by 2019, it's going to be 30% yeah. of the calculation. So good idea to download your QR, UR report. So true. And see at least where you are on the cost standing as well, uh, so that you can figure that uh, changing that curve takes a little longer than just addressing quality measures. No, very good point to download your QRUR reports um, from CMS. Very, very important. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, but not really, staying certainly within the family of the discussion, um, you know, care providers out there are working to lay the analytics uh, groundwork for the quality payment program in general, uh, and certainly population health management strategies. You know, what recommendations would you make on where to get started? We just talked a little bit about specifically MIPS, but what about broadening that a little bit? What uh, recommendations do you have uh, for care providers in general? Um, in general, you should be able to analyze your own data, mm -hmm. um, how you're billing, who you're seeing, what are the different cohorts of patients you have and how are they performing against each other? At least internally, you should be able to do that. That are all your diabetics seeing you equally? Mm -hmm. Or if you want to break that group into two categories, those that see you weekly, those that see you monthly, uh, those that see you quarterly, you should know how you're handling uh, your patients and and sort of get to some self-realization that if you do A, B, and C for a diabetic who is, you know, uh, 55, uh, overweight, non-compliant, uh, how different are the outcomes for that patient compared to a different cohort within your own group? Uh, you don't need to go out and buy benchmarking data. You can simply look at your own information. Whether you do it by disease or you do it by age group, 
um, it, it that's a place to start and it's a simple place mm-hmm. you have the information in your EMR uh, pull it out and take a look at that if you're treating the same patient differently just because of what and I think that's a good place to start with analytics uh, that's the beginnings of a population health strategy and uh, and find a way that you're treating patients based on their uh, disease status or how their severity of illness. Uh, I think those are some really basic concepts that most practices, you know, try to ignore. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories I typically say is, um, as physicians, we only see the patients who call us. Uh, sometimes we do uh, tell physicians on one visit to come and see us after three months, but typically right. we only see the patients who call us. And I know my dentist and my vet That's right. tell, send me postcards every month saying, hey, you're due for a cleanup and, you know, your dog needs uh, the yeah. heartworm medication. We don't do that in, in our own healthcare world. So I think that... Um, some self-realization uh, there would also help. I think that though these three, two or three things are a good place to start. No, that's fantastic. Um, and, and we've used that example of our vet and our dentist for the past seven to 10 years, and we still aren't getting changes in healthcare. It's, it's because we haven't, right. yeah, we, we haven't prioritized the payment schedules around that, and we're slowly getting there. I, I know that, but I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to get there a little bit quicker. So right. diving one level deeper, you know, once you once a care provider has that data foundation in place, you know, what analytic yeah. strategies would you encourage health organizations to prioritize around? I think that um, with the oncoming onslaught of value-based agreements, mm-hmm. more participating in an ACO, um, you need to start combining um, clinical and cost data. And I think that um, 90% or 95% of the EMRs do not help you with that. So you really need to start looking at tools on the outside. Uh, there are a lot of them available. There are a lot of uh, players in the marketplace. And it is becoming uh, more of a commodity than it is, you know, an uh, expensive, um, exotic feature. And I think that the more, the earlier you invest in those decision-based um, tools, yep. uh, the more, the easier it's going to be to transition into value-based uh, over the next couple of years. I think mm-hmm. it's a worthwhile expense, um, and I think it's uh, worth the education. I think uh, whether yourself as a provider or your practice administrator gets educated on these tools, I think it's critical that some exploration is done. Um, most of these tools now also bring in, um, you know, chronic care management and wellness programs, and people underestimate the revenue opportunity with these programs, right. uh, uh, as well as the impact they have on quality measures and quality out- and outcomes that I think that uh, buying a tool set uh, that does both those things is something that you can 
you can offset or justify the expense of bringing in that analytics capability. So there are many revenue opportunities that clearly physicians are not taking care of. I mean, if you talk to Medicare and look at the statistics, some 20-some percent of Medicare-eligible patients have a wellness visit. Right. And uh, it's $125. It's better than any E&M code that you would get for Medicare. And so I think that uh, uh, the, the tools that help you increase your revenue will automatically give you a better, um, you know, bottom line or return on investment. Now that's that's fantastic, and we're actually coming to the top of our time here. The time our time together always flies fast, Doctor Seth. But um, what is your favorite? And I always ask this of my guests, and you know this by now. But what is your favorite yeah. place to get or be inspired? Um, um, a provider meeting hmm. um, where you know, if I had a group of physicians sitting across a table trying to decide how to handle the current marketplace, it really inspires me because it gives you ground level information, obstacles and barriers that they face, uh, that they express and then a, a couple of words of wisdom suddenly make them realize that the barriers they thought were not real barriers yeah. and it's only a paradigm shift for them. I think that truly inspires me uh, when it comes to um, to engaging these providers and saying, wait, you're just thinking incorrectly. Right. It is not true. So I'm finding more and more satisfaction in those, you know, uh, 10 sentences that suddenly they realize what they thought were barriers to progress or staying independent independent is uh, are really not barriers they're just mindset yep no I completely agree and, and those settings are also those are just great settings for collaboration and education well dr. Seth great to have you again as my guest today thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule and your traveling and, and joining us remotely um, on the show and thank you to everyone for listening and joining us today please tune in weekdays at 2 30 p.m. Eastern 11 30 a.m. Pacific as always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so you can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all my content will be posted on my website at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week.